Well, I get the privilege of introducing Don and Jody Green to us and their extended family and half the town of Eldridge. So uh, welcome that you're here. Don and Joni uh, grew, both grew up attending Cornerstone Baptist Church in Eldridge, and where I first got to know at least a part of the Green family was with John, uh, Don's brother right here, and he's with us today, and we uh, did many trips down to Mexico and built houses together and that kind of thing, so that's how I got to know them initially. Then Jody reminded me that... Uh, uh, back in the 90s when we came here that uh, I spoke at Pine Lake Camp and she was there and heard me as a high school girl. So you know, thank you for making me feel very old. Uh, but anyway, uh, Don joined the staff of Crew, which was uh, Campus Crusade for Christ way back when. And uh, Jody joined the staff 10 years later when they were married. Uh, they have spent most of their adult lives living and ministering in the country of Slovenia, which is, was a part of the former Yugoslavia. For the past six years, they've been living in La Crosse, Wisconsin, working with Faculty Commons, a branch of crew that reaches out to the college faculty. As of February 1st, they have been working with church movements with crew to help churches become more effective at reaching the lost. And Don and Jody have six kids and one grandchild. So Don, Jody, welcome. We're glad to have you here today. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to be here with all of you and to be able to bring God's word to you. Uh, Jody and I both grew up attending Cornerstone Baptist Church, a sister church in Eldridge, Iowa. I grew, I grew up in Eldridge. Jody grew up in Long Grove. If you're not familiar with Long Grove, it's a suburb of Eldridge. <laughs> I tried that line in Wisconsin once and people didn't laugh. I don't know, they didn't get it. But, well, um, but we did. We grew up in the church there and uh, are very grateful for the um, opportunity to grow up in a church that preached the word, preached the Bible just like this church. By the way, thank you, worship team. I really, really enjoyed that song about... Uh, a thousand songs, was it? Something like that. That's the first time I've ever heard that. That was very good. So, um, well, Ed is on vacation, and he got together with the leadership of the church, and they realized they needed someone to fill the pulpit. And so you're wondering, well, why am I here? Well, uh, they got together and said, well, let's just get the smartest person we can find. <laughs> but he wasn't available. So then they said, let's get the best looking person. But he wasn't available either. So they said, let's get the funniest person we can find. But he wasn't available. So finally they said, let's just get anyone. And I said, yes. I just couldn't turn them down four times in a row. Well, uh, enough of the jokes, OK. Um, the reality is I'm uh, not the smartest, best looking, or funniest. I'm just a guy who's been saved by God's grace. And that's what I want to talk about today. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, please turn with me. I'm an I'm a old school. I use the Bible. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at the first 10 verses. And I want to just read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible a very literal translation. When we lived overseas, that's how I learned Slovene, was I'm very literal. 
in my um, language as well. But uh, Ephesians chapter 2, picking up at verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word now as we look into it, and by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding, and that by your Spirit, you would lead us to the appropriate applications in each of our lives. May you be glorified now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, when I was interning at a church, they had a uh, vacation Bible school. I was there helping, and one of the things I had to do was listen to some of the kids as they, they, they recited their memory verses. And uh, if they memorized it, then they would get a prize and move on to the next station. And I remember there was a boy, there was another guy and I, they, we were working at the station together, and there's this boy, he's probably about 13 years old, and he came up to us, and his verses were Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And he said, he started to quote his verses, and he said, For, for it is not by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. And I thought something, it sounded good, but something sounded a little wrong. So me and the other guy, we said, could you repeat that? And he said, For it is not by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. Can you say it one more time, but a little slower? For it is not by grace you have been saved. Wait, wait, stop. Can you start again? He said, for it is not by grace you have been saved. Wait a minute, you're getting, you're getting something wrong. He had the verses memorized. He did. Except for one little word. He was adding one little three-letter word, the word not. He kept saying, for it is not by grace you have been saved through faith. And it occurred to me, that he's got the verses memorized, really. He's really close, but he has no idea, no idea what he's talking about. I think that's where many churches are. I think that's where many Christians are, people who claim the name of Christ. They're living by the law. They do not understand grace, and they know enough of the religious traditions, what they need to do, when to stand up, when to sit down, what to say. And religion is going to say, well, you're close enough. That's pretty good. It's better than most people. But before God, that doesn't do it. God's after the heart, after what's inside of a person. Uh, we are saved by grace. God's grace, grace alone. In fact, in this short passage that we just looked at, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the word grace is mentioned three times. It is mentioned 12 times in the book of Ephesians 
alone. Uh, the Greek word for grace is charis. In Greek, it literally means to credit, to favor, to show gratitude, to thank, to be thankful. Um, I find it fascinating that grace is so closely identified with the word thankfulness. Thankful people are gracious people, and gracious people are thankful people. You cannot be gracious and not be thankful. I'm convinced of it. The very essence of the word means gratitude or thankfulness. Another definition of the word grace is unmerited favor, getting something good that we do not deserve. A third definition is God's riches at Christ's expense. We got the riches of God. If you look in Ephesians chapter 1, we have been seated with Christ. We've been adopted into his family. We have been brought into the family of God. We've been completely forgiven by the grace of God. Those things are true for everyone who is in Jesus Christ by faith. We receive God's riches when we deserve God's wrath. In his wonderful book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey writes, I rejected the church for a time because I found so little grace there. I returned because I found grace nowhere else. If someone doesn't find grace in the church, where will they go to find it if we're not gracious people, if we're not living in the grace that we claim is our faith and our faith rests on in his book, Grace Awakening, Charles Swindoll writes, he outlines uh, four uh, practical expectations you can anticipate as you get a firm grasp on grace. First, you can expect to gain a greater appreciation for God's gifts to you and to others. Second, you can expect to spend less time and energy critical of and concerned about others' people's choices. Third, you can expect to become more tolerant and less judgmental. And fourth, you can expect to take a giant step toward Christian maturity as you grow in grace. What God is doing with regards to grace is being played out in the heavenly realms. The heavenly and the heavenly realms is mentioned nine times in the short book. In other words, what we're seeing here in this world is not all there is. In fact, there's a great display that's going on in the heavenly realm. God is at work here in this world and in the physical world that we see, but even in the heavenly realm, what we do here matters and has uh, repercussions for eternity. There is a spiritual battle that's going on. It's being displayed in the heavenly realm. Grace, this simple message that God is willing to forgive us if we turn to Jesus Christ by faith and receive him as our Savior, is truly an amazing story. Concerning the gospel of grace, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.12 that it is something angels long to look into. Um, Jesus said there was rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. When uh, we, we lived in Slovenia for many years, we had 20-some wonderful years in Slovenia. Our kids, were, most of them were born there. They grew up there. Uh, we always tried to include them in the ministry. And uh, um, we didn't see a lot of fruit sometimes, but we, we did. We saw people who came to faith in Jesus Christ over the years. And we would always celebrate as a family. 
And we'd light a candle uh, whenever someone came to faith in Christ. And we'd break, break open a bottle of Robbie Bubble, which uh, is a sparkling cider. It's a, they have weird translations sometimes. But. <laughs> and we'd celebrate. Uh, because we were celebrating together as a family. Celebrating what God had done, the grace of God, and that we all, all of us got to be a part of it. Um, it's something worth celebrating. I don't know if the kids like the Robbie Bubble more or, or the fact that someone came to Christ, but now uh, um, they're growing in hearts for, for the Lord and for, um, for seeing people come to Christ. The point I'm trying to make is that grace really is something amazing. It's something worth celebrating. It's not just some nice words from a famous, well-loved hymn. It's the basis of our faith. The story is told that there were some Oxford dons, and they had gathered together one day. They were talking about, well, what is the uniqueness of Christianity? What sets it apart? And someone said the virgin birth. No, some religions have something similar to that. Others is the holiness of God. Other religions have that. Others, the sinfulness of man. They, they were going on and on, and in walks C.S. Lewis, the Christian apologist, and he asks, what's the discussion that's going on here? And they said, well, we're trying to figure out what is the uniqueness of Christianity. And he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's what sets Christianity apart, this message of grace. Grace is, again, God's good gift to us that we don't deserve. Religion is man's attempts to somehow reach God. Grace is God's attempt to reach down and save man. Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When the Bible talks about death, it does not mean cessation. It means separation. We were dead spiritually. We were separated from God and from his life. It doesn't mean we were inanimate or had no power. You look in verse 2, it says that we walked according to the course of this world. We, We were very animate. We had power. The problem is we use that power to resist God. It wasn't simply that we were people who had lost their way and needed to be guided back onto the right track. We were enemies of God, and we were using our strength and power to resist God. Well, you might be thinking, well, I've always loved God. The Bible says, no, you didn't. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It says in Romans 5, 8, we were enemies of God. That's the reality. You might have loved religion, you might have loved the applause of people and what they thought, but no one's born loving God. In fact, just the opposite is true. We were dead spiritually in our trespasses and our sins. It doesn't mean that we were powerless, we had power, we were alienated from God. A child described a cemetery as a place where dead people live. This world is a giant cemetery. It's filled with people that are walking around but are spiritually dead, separated from the life of God. Um, We were dead because of our trespasses and because of our sins. The Christian author Elizabeth Elliot, when she was a young girl, she had trouble with this. She didn't understand. She said, I've never trespassed anywhere. The word trespass here literally means a false step. Uh, In other words, you and I have started off on the wrong foot. 
Um, we've started, you, you and I have started off on the wrong foot because we've inherited from Adam a sinful nature. Yes, we've all done our own sins, but we've done our own sins because we have this nature that we received from the first man, Adam. In other words, we were born with a sin nature. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam, the first man, passed his DNA on to the rest of humanity. I have some dear friends who don't believe in original sin, that we are born sinful. Um, but think about that for a moment. How could a sinful person pass on a sinless nature to someone else? It doesn't make sense. We received from our original father, Adam, a sinful nature. That's why, as, <clears throat> as Christians, we insist on, we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus because his father is God and bypassed the nature of Adam. It's not just a wonderful Christian Christmas story. It is a reality that we need to believe and hope in. Adam wasn't, when he sinned, wasn't looking for God. He hid from God. We have the same nature Adam has. We are his children. Adam was a real person. He passed on to us a real and sinful nature. That's why King David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in Psalm 51, verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, we are sinners not because we sin, but because we sin because we are sinners. It's our nature. At least it was before any of us accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says we're born again, and we have a brand new nature. Uh, the word sin here literally means to miss the mark. Uh, like in a basketball game, if you shoot and you miss, that's to miss the mark. Um, the problem is that even if we somehow threw up a shot and it somehow rattled around and went in, uh, we're standing out of bounds. We've trespassed. Uh, and not only that, we're shooting at the wrong goal. Religion takes people farther from God, not closer to God. That's why Jesus said you need to be born again. The solution isn't more religion. The solution is a Savior. It's Jesus Christ himself. Uh, verse 3 um, describes the old nature. But God being rich in mercy, be, I'm sorry, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This verse describes our old nature, which was influenced by the devil himself, and we were rightly and fairly under God's righteous judgment and God's wrath. Notice in verse 3 that Paul includes himself in this. I include myself in that. Uh, the idea that man has a divine spark and is looking for God nonsense, according to the Bible. 
Adam died to God and the things of God. He was spiritually separated from God. Death is separation of the spirit from the body. We were spiritually separated from God. Uh, only the convicting work of the Holy Spirit can bring us to God. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I know a lot of evangelists who try to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's God's job. Because salvation is a work, it's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the Spirit of God who speaks so that dead men can hear. I can't. I can't save anyone. When we were in Slovenia, I had a, a friend who I'd been sharing the gospel with, and he was very interested in Christianity. And I said, Boss John, you look like you're, you want to become a Christian, but something's holding you back. And he thought about it for a moment. He said, I'd like to believe it as true, but I'm, I'm not sure. He goes, what I really like is someone to convince me. Me. He wanted me to convince him. I said, I can't. I said, it's not my job. If it's true, it's God's job. The Holy Spirit will convince you. Which he did. Verses 1 through 3 are black and hopeless. But verse 4, let's keep going on. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Here begins the word of hope. It's a word of grace offered to sinners who find themselves in a desperate situation. And by the way, before Christ, we were in an absolute desperate situation. And the world around us, whether they realize it or not, they are in a desperate situation. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jody and I were in a mega church in Kansas City. And I wouldn't disagree with anything that the pastor said, but the gist of his message was that Jesus is here to help you with your anxiety. There's no eternal message in that. Our situation is far worse than anxiety, folks. We are eternally separated from God and need a Savior, which God offers. Uh, mercy, God being rich in his mercy, is not getting what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath. Why was God so merciful to us? He says, because he loves us. Because God is love. That's just who, why does he love us? I don't know. Uh, that's just who God is. If God weren't loving, we'd, we'd all be in trouble. But the great news is, is that God is a loving God and loves the erring sinner. I shared the gospel with a boy in Slovenia. He was probably 17 or 18 uh, and we were on the cell phone. He said, yeah, meet me at Parliament. I'm like, oh, he works at the Parliament. Well, I'll come to find out that, no, he met, meet me at the bar called Parliament across the street from the Parliament building. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we got together, and as I was sharing the gospel with him, I said, God loves you. And he said, and it's kind of surprised me, it took me back a little bit, he said, I know. I said, God really does love you. And he, he said, said, but it's of no value to you if you don't know Christ. God does love you, but apart from Christ, it's of absolutely no value to you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We need to respond to God's offer of salvation J. Vernon McGee writes, 
No one can keep God from loving them. You can't keep the sun from shining, but you can get out of the sunlight. God loves the sinner. I know, I know firsthand, it's easy to look down on the sinner. It's easy to hate the sinner. It's easy to think we're better than the sinner. But God loves the sinner. And he loves the sinner like me and like you. Lewis Berry Schaefer writes, this is kind of a long quote. He says, a, a sharp distinction is properly drawn between the compassionate love of God for sinners and his grace, which is now offered to them in Jesus Christ. Divine love and divine grace are not one and the same. God might love sinners with an unutterable compassion, and yet because of the demands of outraged divine justice and holiness be unable to rescue them from a righteous doom. However, as has been before stated, if love should graciously provide for the sinner all that outraged justice and holiness could ever demand, the love of God would then be free to act without restraint in behalf of those for whom the perfect substitutionary sacrifice was made. This is Christ's achievement on the cross. On the other hand, divine grace and compassion was the unrestrained compassion of God acting toward the sinner on the basis of that freedom already secured through the righteous judgment against sin, secured by Christ in his sacrificial death. Divine love might desire to save, yet be unable righteously to do so. But divine grace is free to act since Christ has died. It is to be observed, then, that the eternal purpose of God is not the manifestation of his love alone, Though his love and mercy are like his grace mentioned in this context in expressing Christ's death, but it is rather a manifestation of grace. We are not saved because God loves us. We are saved because of the grace of God. Uh, Amy Grant had a song in the, I think, 1980s. It was a pretty song uh, called Saved by Love. And it's about a young woman who had evidently led a, led a uh, sinful life and had come to faith in Christ and how God had given her a husband and a, fa a family and how she um, was now um, had a completely different um, life because of the grace of God. And the song says that she's been saved by love. Um, the Bible says we're saved by grace. And I'm not splitting hairs here. God loves us but it's a love that moved him to action. If there was no grace, if there was no cross, then we would still be lost, even though God loves us. Not only did God save us by his grace, but he gave us and sent a seat in the heavenly places with Christ in heaven. He's reserved a place for us. John 14, uh, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might be also. He's got a place for anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. There's a place reserved for you in heaven just for you if you were in Christ, if you've ever trusted him as your Lord and Savior. I lived as a foreigner for many years in Slovenia, and I loved it, and it was wonderful, but there was not a day that went by where I did not feel like a foreigner. And though the Slovenes were very nice to me and welcoming, I felt it. I was a foreigner, and uh, they wanted to know 
You're going back to America someday, right? Perhaps you have felt out of place in this world. I feel it all the time. I live in Wisconsin now. I, I feel like a foreigner in Wisconsin. You betcha, yes. <laughs> but there is a sense where I feel like a stranger in this world. The values that I hold, uh, the convictions that I have are out of step with this world and becoming more out of step. Jesus says, I have a place for you. I prepared a place for you. Um, perhaps you feel like you don't belong. And there is a very real sense where we don't belong uh, in this world. But Jesus is preparing a place and he has overcome this world and will set up his kingdom here someday. And all those who are in Christ will reign with him. What a day that will be. <clears throat> Why does he do this? Um, because this is how he most clearly reveals his great glory. Notice verse 6. It says that we've been raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. There's a display in the heavenly places. when God reveals his grace to the erring sinner. Uh, that God would bestow his super abundant grace on the undeserving sinner. Uh, he says in verse 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness to Christ Jesus. The moment someone responds to God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and faith in him alone, uh, it echoes for eternity. That God might show the riches of his kindness in the, um, in the ages to come towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 8, the verse that the young boy got wrong. It is, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Faith is the conduit of God's grace. We believe. We simply take God at his word. I was sharing the gospel with a guy just a few weeks ago. He, want, he wants to go to heaven. Uh, he believes God's word, and he said, how can you be so certain you have eternal life? And I took him to 1 John chapter 5, 11 to 13. The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 100%. You might know that you have eternal life. How do I know I have eternal life? Because God promises not because of me, but because of God's promises. It is a gift that can be received or rejected. Have you received the gift of God's free grace in Christ Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you certain that if you died today, you would spend eternity with God in heaven? You can right now, simply by faith, simply trusting, believing that Jesus Christ's work on the cross is enough to pay for your sins. Uh, the song Rock of Ages says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the message that Jody and I preach and tell, talk to people about. Uh, it's the message of the Bible. 
Grace, God's good gift that we don't deserve. In Slovene, the word for grace is, is milosliu. It's kind of hard to say milosliu. Actually, that's the word for mercy. Uh, they don't have a word, at least that I discovered, a proper word for grace, because grace is much stronger than mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell. God forgives us, but he gives us a whole lot more. He gives us not only forgiveness, but he gives us the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Um, if I could illustrate it this way, uh, if Ed, Pastor Ed, broke into my house and stole my television set, and the police catch him, and they call me, and they said, Don, we caught Ed, he stole your television set. Do you want to press charges? If I said, yes, that's justice. He deserves to go to jail for stealing my television. If I said, no, tell Ed, just go. I never want to see him, but let him go. That's mercy. He deserved justice, but he gets off. Grace is much stronger. If I told Ed, um, tell him to come by my house. I want to give him my computer as well. Now, for one, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but God does. We deserve, we deserve his judgment, but he gave us his son. That's grace. C.S. Spurgeon wrote, It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy hope in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy faith in Christ that saves thee, though that be the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merit that saves thee. Salvation is the gift of God that, that um, takes away boasting. I did, I, I'm certain I have eternal life, but it's not because of me. It's because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's the only way. Um, and it, it, there's no boasting in that. Uh, it's simply exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior. Uh, again, J. Vernon McGeary writes, he goes, take the position of a zero and let God fill in the, the amount. We bring nothing to the cross, but Jesus is, we have the riches of God in Christ Jesus credited to us. Gracious people are thankful people, and thankful people are gracious people. Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word uh, workmanship is really poema. It's God's poem. We are God's poem. He's writing it in our lives. The moment someone becomes a Christian, they are a new creation, and God is writing poetry through that person. Uh, we've recently seen a few people come to faith in Christ, and I want to tell you, it's a little messy, but it's beautiful. We are God's workmanship, his palm. He's writing it in our lives through redeemed people. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your tremendous love and grace and forgiveness, which is in Jesus Christ. And uh, I never get tired of this message um, because it is the most, I believe, Christ-exalting message there is and will reverberate for eternity. Uh, Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that um, today they would talk to someone and find out how they can be certain that they have eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.